This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. So come with me, please, tonight, uh, again to the book of Exodus, and chapter 13. So far in this look into the life of uh, Moses, the man of God, we have basically just picked up where we left off after the last message. Um, We'll more or less do that tonight. Uh, The Exodus uh, has begun. The death angel has passed over Egypt. All the firstborn have died. And uh, Pharaoh could not wait. Uh, to get rid of the the Hebrews in the land of Goshen. And so uh, he gave them some, Moses gave them some instruction what to do. Uh, Lamb had to be killed and so forth. We discussed all that this morning, which I don't want to go into tonight. And uh, and so we come into chapter 13. Now we're not going to read until we get down a bit, but in chapter 13, Moses is telling them that uh, they'd have to consecrate all who were firstborn. And then he goes on to the Feast of Unleavened Bread, uh, tells them what needs to be done for that, particularly whenever they would get to Canaan and they would build their homes and there would be permanent residents there. And then there would be the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which would last for seven days, and, and how to handle that, how to do that. And then from verse 11 uh, right down to verse 16 is the law of the firstborn. And uh, there were certain uh, rituals that had to be done regarding the firstborn. And and one of those things would be that uh, an offering would have to be brought. uh, A redemption price would have to be paid. But uh, depending on people's status, whether they had whatever they would have when they get to the promised land. uh, And from then on. And you will remember, of course, that uh, Joseph and Mary, whenever they took their firstborn to the temple in the eighth day, uh, how that they didn't have very much, but according to the law, they were allowed to offer an offering of turtle doves and pigeons. And uh, so the law of the firstborn, which I don't really want to go into tonight. It's not my subject or the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So I want us to skip on down to verse 17 of chapter 13, because this is the Exodus. Then it came to pass, when Pharaoh had let the people go, that God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest perhaps the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. Now, according to maps, the land going by way of the Philistines would have been the shortest route to where they needed to go. Uh, It would have been a shortcut, in other words. But not all shortcuts not all shortcuts are the right way to go. And I've discovered in my life that spiritually speaking, there are no shortcuts, spiritually speaking. God has got a way, and if we try to circumvent that or try to get another way around that, you end up worse off than when you began. And so there's a couple of reasons why God didn't want them to go that way. Uh, first of all, there would be Egyptian outposts right up to the border where the Philistines were. And the Philistines were a warring people, a warring nation. And these are slaves that are going out. Uh, they, they didn't have any weapons. 
They weren't trained in war. They had been slaves for generations. And so they would not be able to, to meet that onslaught of that pain. And so God says, no, I will not send them that way because if they see that, they'll immediately want to go back to Egypt and they wouldn't be too far out. I mean, this would just be right at the very beginning of their journey. So God descends, decides to send them another way, a more uh, circuitous route, another way, that's which we'll see here. And so uh, where we are, chapter 13, verse 17. Then it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go that God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest perhaps the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. So God led the people by way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. Now I have undermarked in my Bible those first few words, verse 18. So God led the people. Remember that, that God's leading them now. So God led the people around by way of the wilderness of the Red Sea, and the children of Israel went up in orderly ranks out of the land of Egypt. And Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for he had placed the children of Israel under solemn oath, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here with you. Now, for 400 years, Joseph's bones lay in a coffin in Egypt. Whenever Joseph was dying, in fact, I'll read it to you. It's right at the very last chapter of Genesis, the last few verses. So Joseph dwelt in Egypt, he and his father's household, and Joseph lived 110 years. And Joseph saw Ephraim's children to the third generation. The children of Machir, the son of Manasseh, were also brought up in Joseph's knees. And Joseph said to his brethren, I am dying, but God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land to the land which he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph took an oath from the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and you, will car and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died, being 110 years old, and they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Now, Joseph, you will remember, of course, uh, had a wonderful, wonderful time in Egypt. He was elevated to prime minister of all Egypt. But he knew, good as that was, and as much as God had blessed his family in Egypt, but that's not where they were to be permanently based, that God had got a place for them, another place. Canaan was for them. That was the promise he'd given to Abraham. So he says, that day will come. I don't know when, but that day will come. So in order for my bones to be taken, then please make me a promise when that day comes, when you're out of here, then take my bones with you. And so here that day has come. And these bones of Joseph have been lying for 400 years in that coffin. And I'm sure generation after generation after generation probably looked at that and said, what in the world? It's a long time for them bones to lie there. But here we are, and Moses is reminding them that Joseph asked for this to happen. And that was by faith Joseph did this. It says in Hebrews 11, he did it by faith, trusting and believing that someday, somehow, God would take his people out of the land of Egypt into the promised land. And so this was a promise. And so there came a time ready for the exodus, whenever they would look at this coffin of bones and they could look at it now and they could rightfully say, see, God's word has come true. God's promise is real. 
what our ancestor believed by faith is actually happening. God has taken his faith and has answered his faith and has fulfilled this promise and that's, uh, that was a, a, a sign to them, if you will. That was a confirmation to them that what was happening was perfectly in the will of God. And so, verse 20, And so they took their journey from Succoth and camped in Ethan at the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light. So as to go by day and night, he did not take away the pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of fire by night from before the people. And so, obviously, you understand that now they're going into the wilderness, they're in the desert, and anybody that's ever been in a desert, at night time it gets really, really cold. And so God gave them uh, central heating, if you will, for the desert nights, the cold desert nights. And then during the day it gets so, so hot I mean, that sun would just be blazing and beating down upon their heads. So he gave them air conditioning. He got this great cloud to cover their head. God's very considerate, isn't he? The other scripture says that there wasn't even one feeble one among them. And even their shoes, shoes didn't wear out. <laughs> I mean, God's wonderful, isn't he? Now the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the children of Israel that they turn and camp before Pihiroth between Migdal and the sea, opposite Baal Zephon, and you shall camp before it by the sea. Verse 3, for Moses will say of the children of Israel, they are bewildered by the land. The wilderness has closed them in. Now again, geographically, this is why I said to remember the Lord has led them here. They weren't lost. They didn't wander aimlessly around. God was leading them. But where did he lead them to? He led them to a place where they were hemmed in on every side except before them, which was the Red Sea. And so when they got there, they would look around and it would seem this is the wrong place we are, but God led them there. And sometimes God leads us in ways that logically and rationally, it just doesn't make any sense. It would have been easier going the other way, but leading us into a dead end, leading us into like a cul-de-sac, leading us into a place where it seems like we're trapped. But God had led them, and God was doing this for his own purposes, and they're going to see this. So he said, then I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will pursue them, and I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army, that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And they did so. And so word had come back to Pharaoh that those slaves were wandering all over the place. They had no idea where they were going out there. And they got into this place, and they're trapped. And so when he heard that, obviously... His mind was alive and alert to this. Now it was told the king of Egypt that the people had fled, and the heart of Pharaoh and his servants was turned against the people. And they said, Why have we done this, that we have let Israel go from serving us? Now this is unbelievable. Here is a man who after ten plagues, where the last one was worse than all the other nine put together, where it killed all their firstborn in every household in Egypt. And he still hasn't learned his lesson. This man is a slow learner, could we say. 
He has not learned his lesson at all. In fact, he's even worse. And here he is thinking, do you know what? We made a mistake because all our slaves are gone. Two million of them. How are we going to rebuild our land? How are we going to build our cities again? How are we going to get people to work in the fields? Where are our servants going to be? Where's our handmaids going to be? And suddenly he's thinking about his economy. He's thinking about his country now. He's thinking about the devastation. And he's thinking all our workforce is gone. We've got to get them back. You'll think it'd have more sense, wouldn't you? But you see, when people's hearts are hard, and they're hard against the Lord, there is no sense. There is no sense in their life. It doesn't make any sense. In fact, let me just read you a little verse here in Revelation chapter 16. And this is when God, again, at the end of times, when he pours out his judgments upon the earth, and it comes to the vile or the bold judgments. Remember I told you about the, the three sets of seven judgments? Listen to this. And the fourth bowl, it says, verse 8 of Revelation 16, Then the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and the power was given to him to scorch men with fire, and men were scorched with great heat. Listen to this. And they blasphemed the name of God, who has power over these plagues, and they did not repent and give him glory. You would think when they were being scorched, you would think they would cry out and ask for mercy of God, but no, their hearts were hard and black against God, and they blasphemed his name and cursed God. It doesn't make any sense. If your heart is hard against God, then you're open to every deception of the evil one. And so he made ready his chariot and took his people with him. And also he took 600 choice chariots and all the chariots of Egypt with captains over every one of them. These were his elite troops. Every country has got their own special forces. Britain's got the SAS, America's got the Navy SEALs, Russia's got the Sputnik, and on and on you go around every, every nation. They've all got their special forces. These were his special forces. These was his most well-trained soldiers. Josephus said that he had 50,000 50,000 people to man his chariots. He had 200,000 people, 200,000 men as foot soldiers. So he had a great army. This was the best army at that particular area, at that particular era. And here he's gathered them all up. What to do? To go and try to bring back his slaves again. And so he made ready his chariot and the other chariots, verse 8, and the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the children of Israel, and the children of Israel went out with boldness. So the Egyptians pursued them, all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh, his horsemen, his army, and overtook them, camping by the sea beside Pihiroth before Baal-Zephon. And so here he is, and now they are surrounded. <coughs> on the right and on the left, and at their back is the Egyptians, and ahead of them is the Red Sea. And when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So they were very afraid. And you couldn't fault them, could you? If you and I had been there, we would have been very afraid too. 
because when they looked behind them and they could see the dust coming, this dust of this army coming, and the closer they got, the more frightened they became. And they saw the, all these chariots and all these horsemen, and they saw all these soldiers coming with their spears and their swords, and they were very, very afraid. The Bible says about Moses in Hebrews that he, he left Pharaoh, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. Moses wasn't afraid, but they were afraid. Now you say, I said, well, could you blame them? But in a way, should they have been afraid after what they had saw God do in all of the plagues with a mighty hand? But how easily we forget the power of God, don't we, and how good God is. And so he drew near and they were very afraid. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. <coughs> I wonder what they cried out to the Lord. It doesn't tell us, but I just wonder. I was thinking this day. I wonder what they cried out to the Lord. What would you cry out to the Lord if you were in the tightest spot of your life? What would you cry out to the Lord? Would you be saying, Oh God, please help me? Oh God, do something. But we don't know. But they cried out to the Lord. But note this, then they said to Moses, because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? That's very sarcastic, isn't it? Was there not enough graves in Egypt that you brought us out to die here? That's what they're saying. Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt, saying, let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in this wilderness. <laughs> Isn't, that, isn't this what we told you back in Egypt? Do you remember that time, Moses, when you went into Pharaoh and said, let my people go, and what did he do? Not only did they not let us go, but he made us make bricks without straw. It got worse for us. When you went into him, it got worse for us. You're not making bricks without straw. We are. And our, and our labor was twice as heavy, maybe 10 times more heavy. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians that we should die in the wilderness. Sometimes even as believers, now listen to me, sometimes even as believers, after all God has done for us, sometimes in a crisis, we get angry. And it's our human nature, isn't it? And we attack the Moses of this world. Moses, it's your fault. By the way, if you were to read through all the 40 years of the wilderness, they complained and complained and complained and complained against Moses. It must have enough to drive you crazy, but they did. And so, are we any better than they are? When everything's going well, when God's doing great things in our lives, it's wonderful. But whenever something happens, that's the problem, isn't it? So they turn around and they blame Moses. They cried against God and then they blamed Moses. And Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see them again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace. What a positive powerful, inspiring, encouraging statement Moses gave them. And he believed every word of it. 
And that was to encourage them to say, look, God is with us here. And even though you're looking at everything in the natural, but look up to God and let's trust God. Somehow God will see us through. But then I like this bit. I like this bit. <laughs> and the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? <laughs> now that implies that after he said all of that, that wonderful positive statement to the congregation, then he turned around and he cried unto God. <laughs> Sometimes we pastors do that, you know. Because <laughs> we want to bless you. And we want to help you. And we want to say the right thing to you. And we want to be positive for your sake. And after we do that, then we cry and say, God, what are we going to do here? What's going to happen here? I don't know what in the world's happening around. <laughs> I kind of get that impression, the way that's, the way that's phrased there. God says, why do you cry to me? Well, what are you going on to me about? Tell the children of Israel to go forward. <laughs> go forward. Do you not see the Red Sea? Go for. How am I going to go forward? And sometimes it's like that in life, isn't it? You think to yourself, how am I going to go forward? But by the grace of God and by the help of God, we will go forward in Jesus' name. Tell the children of Israel to go forward. How's he going to do that? But lift up your rod and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. I mean, we just read that, and you just read that and glance over that. I mean, that's a mighty powerful statement. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine going down to the River Lagan at the Albert Bridge with a big stick and standing there and pointing and say, Divide! <laughs> and that just divides. This is what God's asking this man to do. I mean, that's powerful, isn't it? And it shows you the faith he had in God that he actually would have the audacity to do that. And he did. Lift up your rod, stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. Moses had used that rod again and again and again and again. And every time he used it, God did a miracle. But this was a big ask. <clears throat> This wasn't flowers come out of the river, locusts coming over, lice crawling out. This was a big ask. This was to divide a sea. Stretch over your hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. And I indeed will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they shall follow them. So I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gained honor for myself over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. It's one thing for us as believers to know that he is the Lord, but it's another thing for unbelievers to see God work on our half behalf to realize that he is the Lord. Mm -hmm. And unbelievers should be looking at our lives and saying there's something different about those folks. Mm -hmm. And seeing how we can through our struggles, the pressures of life, the stuff that goes on, and God brings us through, that the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And the angel of God, 
who went before the camp of Israel moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud went, also, went from before them and stood behind them. So it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. So here's one of those times, and you're going to get them in your life. One of those times, although we physically can't see it with our eyes, when God steps in between us and the enemy and makes a barrier between us and the enemy, it's as if you cannot go any further. That's as far as you can go until I let you. And this is what he's doing here uh, with Israel. His cloud is going now between them and Egypt, between them and the Egyptians. Thus it was... A, sorry, thus it was a cloud and darkness to the one, and it gave light by night to the other, so that the one did not come, come near the other all night. And so when the cloud came over to the Egyptians, it was pitch black. They couldn't see anything. But on the other side of the cloud, it was full of light for the Hebrews. Now I think one of the reasons why God has done this, apart from the fact that it stopped them in their tracks from attacking the Hebrews, but I think the other reason is this, is that God was now about to do something for these people and the enemy wouldn't know what it was. Amen. And sometimes in your life and my life, when God's about to do something for us or to us or for us, he blanks out the enemy. He doesn't know what's going to happen. Sometimes we think the devil knows everything, but he doesn't. The devil is not omniscient. He's not all-knowing. God is. He's not all-powerful. God is omnipotent, omnipotent, all-powerful. He can't be everywhere at the one place at the one time. The devil can't do that, but God can because he's omnipresent. And so sometimes... God hides from the enemy what he's about to do with us. And I think this is what he's doing here. And so then Moses, verse 21, stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night. And it made the sea into dry land, and the waters were divided. Now, if you were to watch the Hollywood movies of Moses, you probably would see Moses standing outside shaking that stick and suddenly and instantly those waters were to divide but it didn't happen that way God caused a strong east wind to blow all night he used some natural things supernaturally and God can do that God is the creator God and God can turn water into wine can't he? Jesus can walk on the sea I mean, he can turn bread and fishes to feed 5,000. I mean, God can do whatever he wants because he's the creator of God. And so he caused this great east wind to blow all night. The psalmist called it the nostrils of God. <laughs> That's the way he described it. And that blew all night. Now, can you imagine what must the Egyptians on the other side of the cloud be thinking? What is going on over there? We hear the noise, we hear the storm, we hear the wind howling. What is happening? But they couldn't see it. But if you had been on the other side, it was full of light. And you were a Hebrew, you'd be up all night watching what was happening. You would see it before your very eyes. You would see the sea dividing before your very eyes. God was letting them see it all night. That must have been something. That would build your faith, wouldn't it? That would encourage you. Huh. 
it says he made the sea into dry land. Because at the bottom of the seabed would be silty, it would be sandy, it would be dewy, they'd be bogged down. So it blew and blew and blew till that was just a dry bottom seabed that they could just walk across on dry ground. So the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea on the dry ground. And the waters were a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Now, I was thinking of this yesterday, actually, yesterday afternoon, I was thinking this. Uh, water usually, generally speaking, will flow in one direction. And if it's tidal water, then it'll flow in one direction for a while, and it'll flow in one direction for another while, hours later, according to the tide, according to the moon, the pull of the moon. But a river, generally, it will just flow in the one direction continually. Now, it says there was a wall of water on the right and on the left. So if you can imagine this east wind blowing strongly, and let me just give this an illustration, just say, say the water is coming from left to right. Say my, if I hold my hand up, my right hand, right, and the wind's blowing, and the water is piling up where my right hand is, it's becoming a great wall because the wind is pressing it continually. As a wall, right? And it's stuck up there, maybe a hundred feet tall. But what about the other side? What about the left side? And the water's flowing from right to left. What about the other side? Would it just not flow on? Would it just not dissipate and flow on wherever it flows to? But it doesn't say that. It says there was a wall of water on the right and on the left. So this is even more of a miracle. This is supernatural. Even though the wind wasn't supernatural, but what God did with it was supernatural. This was God doing a mighty miracle that they could actually see. And so you had two walls of water, not just one, but two walls of water. And in between, it was becoming drier by the minute. And they were watching that because that's where they were going to have to walk through. And so God is God. He's a mighty God. This is why this is one of the great miracles of Scripture, one of the greatest miracles in the Bible. It says, And the Egyptians pursued and went after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. You see, whenever they were in that hemmed-in position, and it looked like they were trapped. Remember, God led them to that place to take them over. But it looked like they were trapped. But actually, God was setting a trap for Pharaoh. You give the devil enough rope to hang himself. And God was setting a trap for Pharaoh himself. And what? He just went right into the trap. He just went right into the trap that God had set for him. And here they are, and now they're pursuing the Israelites over the sea. The Egyptians pursued and went after them in the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, his horsemen. Now it came to pass in the morning watch, in daylight, and it's breaking, that the Lord looked down upon the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud, and he troubled the army of the Egyptians. But that would trouble them all right, wouldn't it? And he took off their chariot wheels. Some translation says that he made them to wobble. Some of them, it, it, whatever he did with them, they weren't working right. Let's put it this way. He took off the chariot wheels so that they drove them with difficulty. 
And the Egyptians said, let us flee from the face of Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. At long last, the penny has finally dropped. It should have dropped a long time before this, but it's dropping now. But it's too late for them for the penny to drop. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea that the waters may come back upon the Egyptians on their chariots and on their horsemen. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and when the morning appeared, the sea returned to its full depth while the Egyptians were fleeing into it. So the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. Then the waters returned and covered the chariots, the horsemen, and all the army of Pharaoh that came into the sea after them. Not so much as one of them remained. But the children of Israel had walked on dry land in the midst of the sea, and the waters were a wall to them on the right hand, on their left. That's twice Moses mentions that. So that's important. He mentions that twice so we get that image. And so the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Thus Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt. So the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. What an amazing sight that must have been. See, when those waters started to come in, then that seabed that was bone dry began to get very wet and claggy, and it became like a quagmire, and they got stuck there. And then when the waters came in around them, in Psalm 78 and other Psalms, it talks about it, and it says they sunk like a stone. And why wouldn't it? Because they were full of armor. <laughs> And they couldn't get out. And all of them, all of them were drowned. What a sight that must have been along the seashore to see the Egyptian army all perished. All their enemies were completely and utterly gone. And what did they do after that? We'll finish with this tonight. What did they do after that? They began to break out in song. They had a great victory song. Moses wrote the song. It's the first recorded song of Israel in Scripture. And Moses wrote it. And it's a great song. Then Moses and the children of Israel sang this song to the Lord and spoke, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously, the horse and the rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. Amen. Now, it's interesting that Moses wrote this song, and he never once mentions his name in it. All of the glory is going to go to God. I mean, Moses is the main man in this. They're all looking to Moses. He is the main man. He's the man of for the hour of power, that's Moses. But when he writes a song, it's God gets the glory. And that's the way that it should be, isn't it? And really, hymns and songs, even that we sing, they should be given God glory. Not us, not man, but God glory. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has cast into the sea. His chosen captains also were drowned in the Red Sea. The depths have covered them. They sank to the bottom like a stone. Actually, Moses said that. Your right hand, O Lord, has become glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, has dashed the enemy in pieces. And in your greatness, 
and in the greatness of your excellence. You have overthrown those who rose against you. You sent forth your wrath. It consumed them like stubble, and with the blast of your nostrils the water gathered together. The flood stood upright like a heap. The depths congealed or became firm in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My desire shall be satisfied on them. I will draw my sword, my hand shall destroy them. But you blew your wind and the sea covered them and they sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand, and the earth swallowed them. You in your mercy have led forth the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them in your strength to your holy habitation. The people will hear and be afraid. Sorrow shall take hold of the inhabitants of Philistia. Then the chiefs of Edom will be dismayed, and the mighty men of Moab, trembling, will take hold of them, and all the inhabitants of Cana will melt away. He's prophesying now. In the midst of this song, he's breaking into prophecy of what's going to happen when they go to claim the promised land. Fear and dread will fall on them, but the greatness of your arm, they shall be, uh, they will be as still as a stone till your people pass over, O Lord, till your people pass over whom you have purchased. Do you know that actually happened? Because when he went, do you remember, do you remember after Moses had died and the Lord had buried him, how that Joshua his commander was raised up to be the leader. And you remember how when they came to the first city that they would have to take, Jericho, and they sent in those two spies to spy out the land, to see what was happening, to see their strengths. But it's interesting what Rahab, the prostitute Rahab, who kept them safe from the Jericho soldiers. Uh, she hid them up and acted in the roof space among the flanks. And then whenever the soldiers came, it says in verse 7, the men pursued them by the road to Jordan to the forge. As soon as, and as soon as those who pursued them had gone out, they shut the gate. Now before they lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I, listen to what she said, I know that the Lord has given you the land, that the terror of you has fallen on us, and all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. For Listen, for we have heard how the Lord dried up the waters of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. See, when that happened, the word spread before them. I mean, if I could use an everyday term, it was headline news everywhere. It would be in every newspaper, every telecast. It would be everywhere what God had done. And the word spread through all the land around as far as they could go. And by the time they came to Jericho, it was Jericho who was frightened of them. So it was, in fact, in, in chapter 6, it says, Now Jericho was securely cut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in. Everything was bolted and locked up for fear of the children of Israel that was coming against them. So this idea, whenever, you know, the, whenever they were marching around the walls of Jericho, that the people in Jericho were shouting at them, laughing at them, trying to make a fool of them, not at all. They were absolutely heart-scared because they had heard that the power of the mighty God of the Hebrews and what God had done for them. And so, where did I finish there? And so, oh yes, see it. Verse 17, and you will bring them in and plant them in the holy mountain of your inheritance, in the place, O Lord, which you have made for your own dwelling 
the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord shall reign forever and ever. For the horses of Pharaoh went, into his, uh, went with his chariots and his horsemen into the sea, and the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them. But the children of Israel went on dry land in the midst of the sea. And then Miriam, just finishing here, Miriam, uh, Moses and Aaron's older sister, she picks up the chorus, she picks up the refrain, and she gets her tambourine. Then Miriam the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took up the timbrel in her hand, and all the women went out after her with timbrels and with dances. And Miriam answered them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and its rider he has thrown into the sea. And they sang that and sang that and sang that, and they danced and they danced and they had tambourines and they played. What a scene that must have been just to watch those women doing that with those timbrels. Even today, in the synagogues today, on the Sabbath, when that portion that I've just read, the Song of Miriam, when that is read, it is known as Shabbat Shirah, the Sabbath of Song. So on the Sabbath of song, Shabbat Shirah, that is actually spoken out. It's chanted out. And then when Shirat Hayam, the song of the sea, whenever it is chanted, then all the congregation in the synagogue stands to their feet. And the only other time they do that is whenever the Ten Commandments are recited. They also stand to their feet. And so that's happening today. So this is very, very important to Jewish people. This is reminding them of the power of God and how God delivered them from Egypt. And if he delivered them from Egypt, then he can deliver them from whoever. Just as we close, let me remind you that Moses, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the first four verses, Moses likens, sorry, not Moses, Paul, Moses, Paul likens Moses going through the Red Sea with the children of Israel to baptism. And they followed Moses through the Red Sea and they identified with Moses. And he likens that to a baptism. And our baptism, our literal water baptism, when we go through that, we're identifying with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's who we identify with. And so even Moses picking up on these things Seeing these things is reminding his congregation in his days how important these things actually were. I just want to <coughs> remind you of one more thing if I can find it. Revelation chapter 15, and then we're closed. Revelation 15. In Revelation 15, the tribulation saints who had endured so much, who were slaughtered for their faith, but here they are in heaven and they're singing. Chapter 15 of Revelation, verse 1. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them the wrath of God is complete. And I saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fire. And those who have the victory over the beast and over his image, and over his mark, and over the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass, having harps of God. Listen to this. They sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. Away back there thousands of years ago, when Miriam and Moses sang that song, 
Little did they know that thousands and thousands of years later, even beyond our present day, there's going to be a time in heaven when the tribulation saints will sing that very song because it's a great song of victory and the song of the Lamb, of course. Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways. O King of the saints, who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. For all nations shall come and worship before you, for your judgments have been made manifest. <laughs> So right from Exodus all the way into Revelation, right from that day, right beyond our day into the future, that song will resonate, even be echoed in heaven itself. So it's important that we read these things, isn't it? Amen? Lord, we thank you that you're a mighty, mighty God. We bless you, Lord, that your power and your authority is beyond anything we could ever comprehend. Lord, you spoke the very stars into existence. And we thank you, Lord, that there is no demon, there's no devil of hell can stand against your power and your might. There's no nation, there's no dictator, there's no government that can stand against the power of Almighty God. And so we give you thanks tonight, Lord, for your goodness and your mercy that follows us all the days of our life. And we thank you for your great power. We bless you for your word that shows us that in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information, www.mpc.org.uk.